You are listening to On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and role-playing gamers. On the Shoulders of Dwarves. Hello and welcome to On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and the people who play them. My name is Eran Aviram. My name is Uri Lifshitz. Hello! And today we shall discuss food. This will be the last episode of the year 2019 and the last episode of the decade. So it is only fitting that we choose to talk about the most important issue in role-playing games. What we eat around the table. We don't, we won't be talking about what we eat in the game. That's for another episode. That's for a different time. No, no. Actual food. What you, the people who are sitting around the table, are going to eat while you are playing. It might seem like a minor bit of detail, but like with any social interaction that happens around the table, it actually has a lot of elements that you might want to think about. So he, here are a few of them. Before we start, we just want to tell you that in my session, we usually have full-blown meals right before we start playing. But in a run session, they usually just have light snacks throughout the game. So we want to give both sides of the coin here. And I think this should be the first order of business. You, as a party, should decide what are you eating, if at all. This is an issue you might want to decide on well ahead of time. Will you be eating a whole meal together before the game? Or just munch on snacks as you go along? And remember, a hungry game master is a ventral game master. So make sure everybody knows whether they should eat before coming to the gaming session or to arrive and eat there. This is one of those instances where being prepared is key, which immediately leads forward to the messiness of it all. Eating is often a messy affair, at least in every game session that I've been a part of. So you might want to adopt some basic habits that would save a lot of gaming time. First of all, maybe don't deploy all your game accessories until after you eat. It's really hard to eat a full meal with a lot of rule books and character sheets and everything spread out on the table. On the same note, always have paper towels ready. And maybe don't eat greasy food while handling all the game accessories and character sheets and dice, etc. Now, this is not about treating everything with silk gloves. I've been quoted many times saying that a character sheet is not really a character sheet until it has some pizza sauce smudges on it. But then again, that only works if it's your character sheets. Other people may disagree. Your mileage may vary yes. and your cleric may stop healing you. These are lessons written in hit points. <laughs> Not to mention books and laptops, which are a whole different matter and you really don't want to stain someone else's laptop or books. And for good reasons. Now, there are solutions to this because if you go my way of having only snacks around the table, you can make sure that you only have dry snacks or things like what we use, carrot sticks, grapes, They are not dry, but you eat them with a single bite, so that's fine. Uh, sliced red and yellow peppers. And at most, during coffee breaks, stuff like non-crumble cookies and chocolates. Chocolate bites. So nothing ever goes anywhere except between the bowl and your mouth through your hand. No messiness. Wow, it sounds like you're playing in this Roman villa during Caesar's time. <laughs> It's really simple, actually, just having uh, se several bowls, even pretty small bowls around the table. It doesn't even interfere with moving around the uh, paper. Interesting. I'll try it one day. 
Now, as with most things in the world, if you plan ahead, you can save a lot of time. Plan ahead with you and your players if you want to have food during the gaming session or not. If you want to have serious food or not. Make sure everyone knows whether it's finger food or actual food. How can you plan ahead? By having someone responsible for the issue and taking care of everything before the game starts. Yes. If you're playing a campaign, this would usually be a prolonged affair and usually among friends or hopefully soon to be friends. So it might be a good idea to invest time in the beginning and talk about this. If we are talking about a one-shot game, it's usually enough to just make sure that everybody know what is expected of them, whether they should show up hungry or be ready for a meal or will food be ordered, etc, etc. Who takes care of all this food issue? We usually have someone in the group who is responsible for the whole food issue. This role should be assigned with as much careful deliberation and caution as the roles of tank, healer, damage dealer, and scout. Now, in my sessions, there is always someone who sends out a text message a few hours before the gaming session, mm. make sure to get what everybody wants, and then order the food about half an hour to an hour before the gaming session. So, we all meet, the food hopefully arrive exactly at the same time, we eat the food, and then play. Now, this role requires actual skill, and the DCs are usually pretty high. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all those, Oh, I had sushi yesterday! I want something meaty, but I don't know what. Can we please have pizza, but not real pizza, something like pizza, but which is not pizza? Etc, etc. Whoever's in charge of the food have to take all these bitchy text messages and turn them into some kind of a food order so we can meet up, eat, and play the game and not spend like 20 to 30 minutes discussing what should we eat. When we used to play Uri, you and me together, a few years back, uh, several years back, a lot of years back, we always ordered pizza, but we had, for some reason, different opinions on which pizza to order at different times. And we actually had different opinions on what constitutes a pizza. Uh, yes, we, we had a, a vegan in our group and that made the whole thing of what's a pizza into a, a, a whole discussion. But let's put it aside. We had a pizza orderer. And in those games, we gathered together and only then we ordered the pizza. And we made sure that it comes somewhere in the middle of the game. It, it was a break. It, we had a pizza break, which made the role even more important because then the person who did the ordering needs to make sure they know when to order. So the food will come when, the break, when, when we plan the break. And that's all about timing, and we'll get to that in a few moments. But I think it's, it's interesting because you, you really do have some responsibility. The person who orders food, whenever it is that you decide in a group that you want to eat, they have a responsibility that needs to be taken seriously because it affects the game a lot. Indeed. And remember, as a GM, it is crucial if something happened during the gaming session which immediately takes away all the players' attention and break all the tension that you have created up to this point. We have talked about this at length in our pacing episode. Now, if you are ordering food, immediately the question comes up, who is paying for the food? Ideally, yes. you each pay for your own food, but again, start dealing with this and do you have change and etc, etc. Takes away from the gaming time. So, for example, in my group, we use an app for that. There is an app. There's a hundred apps for that. Uh, yes. We use uh, Splitwise, but there's a ton of other apps. 
either simply to keep track on who owe how much money to whom, or to actually just transfer the money immediately between yourselves. Now, you sh- I should note that even in our groups, when we only eat like small snacks, and as I said, carrot sticks and grapes, it's not like it costs a lot of money, uh, but it does cost some money. However, we sort of see it as the role and responsibility of the person who is the host, who is entertaining everyone else. And in our groups, wherever we play at someone's house, they are the person who is buying the snacks. That's just the way it is. And we don't question it and we don't put it into any sort of consideration. We're just trying to make sure that we are playing evenly across several houses throughout the campaign. But uh, if not, then that, that's fine. It's, the snacks are not that costly. It's not like when you order food and each meal is usually an expense. It's true, but I think above all else, it's about making sure that everyone are feeling comfortable. If I would be playing a game in which someone takes care of the food and I'm not paying for it and it goes on for a few weeks, I will feel uncomfortable. I will feel like I'm indebted to someone. Okay, it's a part of the, the culture, the gaming culture of your gaming group, I think. It's something that you get into, yes. And now is the perfect time to talk about timing. We've mentioned this briefly before. There is nothing more annoying than stopping a session midway, especially at an important or an exciting moment for anything, let alone eating, because that's something that could have been avoided. So in my gaming group, we always try to eat before the session starts. In this way, I, as a GM, know that, poof, now I have three, four hours in which everyone ate something and they can focus Mm. on the game and we don't need any breaks. Yes, they're content, they're, they're full, they can play. Now we eat at the very beginning, meaning people arrive and we have dinner together and then we play. So in a way it saves time because the socializing part of the evening and the eating part of the evening happens simultaneously. We're all friends, so when we meet up it's, ah, hello, have you been, what's going on, have you shot that guy yet, etc., etc. We do this over dinner and we don't waste extra time until we get to playing the game. Timing is an interesting issue because in one of my gaming group, we also have a tradition called first blood. First blood means we don't have any sweets or snacks before we actually had the first blood of the session. This is a very combat-oriented campaign. Of course, if some of your campaign is not battle-oriented, you might spend a lot of time before actually tasting anything sweet. And we've had moments in the past where one of us just had to attack someone else just to get to the first blood. But I think it's a very nice sort of tradition. We, we know that after the first combat encounter, we will have something sweet to look forward to. Understand what I'm saying? Sort of, yes, yes. It's like with our coffee breaks. We know there will be a coffee break. But when exactly it will come, it depends on timing of the scenes, of pacing, and when I say so, generally speaking, because I'm the GM. So when we finish a fight against some pirates in the middle of the sea or something, well, now it's a coffee break. <laughs> it was an intense fight, was, and now there's a lull in the action, and we can have a, a break in which we also drink some coffee and have some chocolates and talk a bit and go to the loo and stuff like that, and it will be like 10 minutes, and then we'll be back into the game. And it's something that we're waiting for because we want this release of tension. 
we are waiting for the moment when we've achieved the peak and then we can release again and now we're on into the second part of the game and it, usually there will be two more scenes after that half of the session is still uh, ahead of us and uh, and and it's just something that we know is waiting somewhere there in the middle nice of course after we're done with eating whatever it is we're eating there is the aftermath this could be an easy task, simply throwing away the pizza boxes into the bin, or a more complicated one of actually clearing dishes, placing leftovers in boxes in the fridge. If this is something time-consuming for you, try and make this a group effort to save that time. One or two can clear all the dishes while someone else pack any remaining leftovers, and another player may set the table for the game. And I would like to take a moment to talk about preparing food. Now, it's not uncommon for someone to want to play chef and prepare food for the group. In one of my parties, one of the players is a very talented cook, while another one of the players is an amateur baker. So, we occasionally have very elaborate dishes and dessert as food. Nice. Uh, yes, however, it does usually take some more time. So, we're very organized in getting everything ready, eating and then getting everything cleaned off so we could start playing quickly. That has not always been the case. Mm. At some time, it would take a lot of time to get to the point where we're actually playing. Over time, we developed a very orderly method of getting rid of everything so we could start playing. And that's something I would highly recommend to anyone. Don't wait for these habits to develop naturally. This could take a lot of time and basically cost you in your gaming time. I want to talk about a special event for which uh, food preparation is key. In uh, our old group, one of the players wanted to create a feast for us all. Uh, he invited us to play at his house. It was unusual. We never played at his house. We always played at someone else's because his was some, somewhat out of the way. But he said, I'm going to prepare a feast in honor of Karnath, which is the land we were entering that time. It's in uh, the continent of Corver in Eberon. And he's, he's very much into uh, Eberon and he knew what are the special dishes of Karnath and he wanted to create some for us. And it was an amazing idea, so of course we went with it. And he toiled like half a day on, on preparing the food. It was a feast. It was, there were several dishes. Uh, we sat around the table and we ate before we started the game. It was very unusual. That's not what we, we were usually doing. As we said before, usually we would just order some pizza. Uh, but it was a great way to get us into the sense of, ooh, Karnath. It, it was awesome. It, this is a different place. They have borscht and stuff. I think it's very Eastern European. Uh, but, but even more so, even more than any of that, it felt like one of us is really, really investing in the group. And that's a lot of fun for everyone. I'm not expecting anyone to do this. But when it happened, it was... Great. It was an excellent feeling as a GM, of course, but I'm assuming for the players as well, that one of your players is willing to prepare food, special, specific food for the entire group and invite everyone. It was an event and it was an event centered around food and which, which is a great, a great thing to have. <laughs> I think, I think events centered around food should, we should have more of this. And uh, for, for the campaign, it was great. For our tummies, it was great. And of course, we all applauded. I, I, recommend, I recommend at least considering this in your groups as well. For me, it was even more than that, because 
that player was the vegan player. Yes. And that was the first time I had a full vegan meal with meat substitute that was amazing. It was an excellent meal. Um, amazing. It changed my mind on, on vegan food, yes. Exactly what I was going to say. Up until that moment, whenever I had meat substitute, it felt like substitute. It didn't feel like something that you would enjoy on its own. And that meal got me to think, oh, wow, this, this, this is yummy. This is excellent. This is amazing. And not to mention the whole state of mind in which you go into the game. You feel like you understand the culture of the location your character is in. Of course, you can do more with food than just eat it before, after, or during your gaming session. Food fight! <laughs> yes, you can use you can take food and use it in a mechanical way mm. as part of your gaming session. Many years ago, I was in a convention and I had a break between gaming session and someone came over and said, "Uli, why don't you run a game for us?" As his customary because I was there. <laughs> and I said, "Cool, let's sit down and play." And so we're sitting around the table and they ask, "Okay, what system do you want to want to play?" And I'm looking down, and I had I have nothing on me. I had a few papers, a few pencils, and I think two D6s. And that was it, because everything was in my bag, which was somewhere else. And I said, okay, sit around the table. Everyone, put yourself a glass of water. This is your mana. Hmm. This is your magical ability. Whenever you cast a spell or perform an, an amazing action, drink from your glass the amount of mana you want to invest. So at a glance, you can see how much magic everyone has for their characters. I haven't thought of that, okay? It was a spare-of-the-moment improvised thing, but it developed during the game in a very interesting mechanical way. Right up to the very end, where one person was trying to cast this enormous spell to defeat the big bad guy, and he didn't have enough mana, and people simply took their glasses and poured it into his uh... glass, which is something I, I haven't thought of, and it was such an amazing moment and ingenious. So you can use food and drink as mechanical bits. Of course, this goes onward and onward. You can use food as reward slash punishment in some game mechanics. For example, in one instance, we had spinach cookies, which were terrible. They were just, they were burned, they had spinach in them. But the point was that if your character failed in something, you would eat the spinach cookie and then really feel bad about that. It was in a way like using a Benny in order to soak damage, but it had a cost. The cost was eating the spinach cookie. And mm. you can play around with that. You can have good cookies and bad cookies chocolate or something disgusting with spinach as reward slash punishment mechanism in order to make the game more interesting. Before we started recording, Eran said, but why? Why would you do that? And my answer was very simple. It is one of the ways in which you shorten the distance between the player and the character. If there's a really tough situation ahead of you and there's about to be this role which will determine the outcome, the future it's not just your character's future. It's also your future. You as a player do not want to eat the spinach cookie. Mm. Of course you don't want your character to suffer as well. But it is removed from you. It's more far away than actually eating a spinach cookie with your own mouth and filling it. And of course you can also use cookies or M&Ms as mana points. 
this really encouraged people to cast spells because they really want to eat the M&Ms. Yeah, yeah. And if you have enough, like a, a, a huge bag of, of M&Ms, they, they won't be running out anytime soon. So they feel, unlike with the glass, they feel like they can just go on and on and on. They don't see in front of them a glass uh, getting less and less full as time goes on. They just see endless M&Ms. <laughs> This is very much depending on what is the outcome, what is the effect that you want. You yes. can have a, a glass bowl filled with M&Ms and then they do see it slowly, slowly decreasing and get that sense of, oh my God, my power is waning. Or on the other hand, you can have this huge chunks and then, oh, awesome, 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 awesome. Think about putting an M&M for every spell slot that the wizard have. And mm. wow, you have a very good visual representation of what's your level of power and how and how depleted you are i invite all of you to try these out these are amazing tactics because when you mess around with the player's actual senses especially taste you can get to really interesting effects well that's about food we should summarize then and um, uri do you have anything else to say about food i think food is like many other aspects of the game in which that if you haven't paid attention to it, there's a lot of benefits that you could gain and not gaining. I mean, it's fine if you're not eating. It's fine if you are eating. It's fine if it takes an hour and a half. It's fine if it takes 10 minutes. It's fine if you do it before or during or after. But if you haven't thought of it, in order to gain the maximum benefit you could get out of it, then you probably should. There's a lot extra fun to be had. Okay, if you guys at home have anything that you eat around your table that we haven't discussed here, thought about, or would like to eat, please email us at show at dwarfcast.net. You can also find us at Dwarf Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And if you walk outside of your door right now and look up into the starlit skies and as you see Cassiopeia shining above, you can think of going back to your computer and sending an email to show at dwarfcast.net. We, we, we don't appear, we don't actually appear in the skies. Not yet, but maybe soon. Soon. Next week will be a whole new year and a whole new decade. So we hope you will all have an amazing 2020 with plenty of 2020 roles with advantage and see you next year. Or in a minute, in taking the load off. This world is carried on the shoulders of the war. This is the part of the show in which we talk about role-playing games in our own personal lives. I would like to begin very shortly by saying that yesterday I played the starter set of Warhammer Fantasy role-playing games. It's uh, the fourth edition, and it is a good one. I'm not sure yet what my thoughts are about the system. It's a D D100 system. It's a percentile dice, and these are, generally speaking, not fun. Um, this this was this this was kind of fun, but I'm 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 when I compare it to third edition, which used the funky awesome dice from Fantasy Fight Games that give you advantage and disadvantage, and all sorts of interesting results. It's just less fun. I mean, third edition is just better for me, for our group, than the percentile system, which is just a bit dry and, and a bit unclear at, at points. That being said, the starter set is amazing. The system works, which is enough for you to play the starter set. And th the characters are great. The adventure is super. 
superb because it is dripping with the color and feeling of Warhammer, which is a dirty, dark world with um, horrible people and horrible occurrences that happen to you. And for some reason, it's awesome. <laughs> it's just awesome. Uh, so I, I highly recommend it. And the second thing I did with the same group after we finished, uh, we played my new system, which still doesn't have a name, currently actually called Bester Ever Skill, uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> yes, which is a name of uh, one of Uri's uh, old characters, uh, because it's a it's a system about skills, every skill technically, and being the best uh, at them. So that's that's literally what the system is about. We played uh, a playtest. It was the first playtest I ever ran of the system. I'm happy to say that it sort of worked. I'm unhappy to say that I'm not sure it was fun. We had uh, a lot of discussion afterward, and it's back to the drawing uh, board, obviously. I know it's frustrating because I haven't actually said anything about the system itself. You're such a tease. I'm, I'm not trying to. I am aiming to release a bare-bone version of it in the next month or, or so for free. And I will be very happy if people can check it out, try it out, and give me some more playtest uh, data after after I do that. Um, we'll get back to that in the future. Uri, what about you? A few days ago, I had an amazing gaming session. We were playing Pathfinder 1st Edition, Curse of the Crimson Throne Adventure Path. And we're toward the end. You, you can smell the end. We're in the last part, the, the last sixth of the Adventure Path. We've been playing it for, I, I think, a year, two years. I, I can't even remember. And we are so near the end that it's it's enticing. Like every mission now is ah, taking us one step closer to the big, bad evil of the campaign. And I find that, you you know, um, before every gaming session, I'm I'm pumped because I know that, like we've mentioned in the episode, it's not something that would just affect my character it would also affect me unlike the end of the previous adventures in this adventure path once we're done with this specific adventure the campaign will end mm. we're gonna have to sit down and decide on what is the next adventure what is the next campaign we will be playing and that's a that's a big thing and that's something that would affect me and my character in very profoundly different ways. One of us will no longer be, for example. <laughs> Hopefully the one. character. <laughs> yes. Hopefully. And that's a big thing, you know, yes. coming toward the end of a campaign. We still have a few months, right? It's not anything imminent, but it's still, it, it's, it's a big thing that you feel creeping toward you. Mm -hmm. But talking about the topic of this episode... I also have a Facebook album with pretty much everything we ate from the beginning of the campaign. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes for that. Oh, nice. That's all we have for today. Eran, I hope you will have an amazing year next year. Thank you. Yeah, I hope you'll have an amazing year next year. And you, dear listeners, I hope you will eat the most amazing food, have the best adventures, and get the natural 20s you deserve in play yeah. and off play. <laughs> Later. The Shoulders of Dwarves is shared under Creative Commons by Attribution Non-Commercial 4. Intro and outro are by the Cliché Dio. And you can email us at show at dwarfcast.net. On the shoulders of dwarves. 
So Iran, what is this Crystal Heart which I've been hearing so much about? Crystal Heart is a role-playing game based on Savage Worlds where you get to play awesome agents carrying crystals that give you superpowers and change your personality running around a strange awesome world looking for more crystals. For more information about the Crystal Heart campaign setting, please visit up to 4 playerscom forward slash crystal heart.